Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stargazing. I know normally I would do a kitschy intro at this time, but today we're actually going to open with a bit of news. We've got a brand new sponsor for the podcast. That's right. It's Ned's Needle-O-Rama, the, the premier acupuncturist in the Dallas-Fort Worth area is going to be doing a little bit of work with the podcast. We're really excited to see. We'll, we'll be running some promotions, some interesting content to come over the next month or so. But again, Ned's Needle-O-Rama for all your acupuncture needs. And... Um, no better way to kick off such a momentous and, and important podcast than with our, our very own editor-in-chief, Taylor Baird. Taylor, how are you doing today? Hey, you know, I'm hanging in, man. How are you? <laughs> now that we got that needle sponsorship secured, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, just rocking and rolling. See, okay, like, I have a, a great phobia of needles, so the idea of acupuncture just completely freaks me out. Like, just... <laughs> Hard, hard pass. I maybe it's good for you. I don't know, but it the idea of willingly putting myself down and being like, just stick me full of needles. No, 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 just mm-mm, I'm good. I mean, I, I the thing about it that always gets me right is it's not just that. So here's here's my here's my hang up with acupuncture. Right, it's not that somebody had the idea. Right, people have weird ideas all the time, and it's not even so much that after that one person had the idea, they told a buddy and the second person said, Hey, that sounds great. It was that like just ballparking, right? The, the very first acupuncturist, how long did it take for that person to get good? Right? Like think of it, no, no roadmap, no textbook, no, no one that's been in that territory before. Like who was that person poking with the kind of patients required to develop acupuncture as a, you know, pseudo medical pursuit? No, 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 I can't, I can't. And that's why it like, like in reading in this week's um, Dallas Stars world about Tyler Sagan needing acupuncture like every 36 hours or whatever. Oh, I I have questions and that might be the very first thing out of my mouth at training camp to Tyler Sagan this year is going to be. Please explain to me how you get that many needles put into you all the time. Well, and just 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 so that you know, we are contractually obligated. That question has to be: Please explain to me how Ned's Needle Orama can offer such outrageously low prices per poke. <laughs> We've got that's it's in the it's in the contract, so we got to do it. I'll work, I'll work on, I'll work on it. <laughs> of course, that's a, you know, getting into the agenda. That's a great segue. We'll, we'll be talking, of course, about, uh, we've actually got news. We've been, we've been focusing on position groups, but lo and behold, some stuff happened this week. We're going to talk a little bit about Sagan. We're going to talk about Ben Bishop. We're going to talk Miro Haskinen and, you know, we'll see where that takes us. We've got some other ideas if, if the, um, if the night heads in a fun and exciting direction, but yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and start with obviously the always excellent um, sod columnist for the covering the Dallas stars, for the athletic, he had a little summer catch up piece and, and lots of good stuff in there. But the, the money quote that really stood out to me was um, I'm pulling it up here. It's his hip and quad speaking of Tyler Sagan, of course, his hip and quad are back to feeling close to 100% and now only require acupuncture every 36 hours. And the, the, the funny thing to me, the, the thing that really struck me is this was written as as a positive. And we'll start there, Taylor, on a scale of, of one to ten, right? One being not enthusiastic at all, ten being the opposite of that. Hearing that, 
Tyler Sagan, upon whom quite a few of Dallas Dallas's hopes for the season reside, is feeling so very good that he only requires acupuncture every 36 hours. What does that do to your level of enthusiasm for the season? So it's kind of hard for me to judge that because one of the things that I have a question about is, has that been a recovery method that he's utilized consistently in the past? I mean, I don't think that we always hear about all of the treatments and, and things that athletes do, you know, to get ready for and participate in a full season. So it's hard for me to get nervous about that because for all I know, dude's been doing acupuncture for years. You know, yeah. and it could be part of his normal routine. So, like, I hesitate to say, oh, that's concerning. For me, it was more, you put needles in yourself that often. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great point, right, is, is there is a lot that goes into maintenance, right? This isn't, um, you know, just a bunch of folks that show up to the rink, uh, you know, 15 minutes before puck drop, throw their gear on and go, right? There's a lot of stretches, a lot of treatments. There's a lot of stuff that that might be going on. The reason that I pulled this out, one, it was funny. So that's always, you know, top of mind. But the other thing is I thought this really did illustrate sort of where we are as stars fans heading into this season and, and how tenuous certain aspects of, of the season's outlook really are. And it's, it's sort of bringing, bringing back like one of the, the big themes has been, and this even dates back to last year's trade deadline, right? When the idea like, Oh, getting, getting Sagan back, getting Radulov back, getting, you know, Bishop back, getting the idea that health is going to be some panacea that, that, helps propel this team back to that version we saw making the final two years ago. And as exciting as it is to think about, you know, the, the strides we saw the team make and the improvement we saw and, and all of that, like as excited as it is to think about all of that, it's a little bit of a cold water moment to realize, you know, we are one missed acupuncture session away from all of a sudden having another hole in the lineup. And it's not like this is a group, you know, it's not like this is a group that has necessarily demonstrated a high likelihood of health recently. Sure. Um, you know, but the other thing, and, and I was thinking to myself, uh, just the other day, I was, I was kind of walking into my office and I'm like, Oh my gosh, the season is about to start. You know, I'm going to be writing every other day. And then I have to remind myself that, Oh wait, there's actually time built into the schedule this year. It's right. not this super condensed playing every other night um, marathon that that they had last year. And so, you know, part of part of the the concept of health to me when you talk about the stars this season is the fact that they're actually going to get rest. And and I think that will go a long way towards that health that everyone talks about. So, you know, I, yes, getting healthy is not the only thing that is needed. But I think when you look at just, it was hard in the moment to realize how much of a toll last season and the, you know, in the pandemic shortened season and then the fact that they had the COVID outbreak at the beginning of the year and it crunched their schedule even further, it's hard to really take a step back when you're in the midst of it. But man, it was, that was unbelievable and probably not something I hope we ever see again when it comes to hockey, um, especially. So 
I mean, I we shouldn't have when... just just to editorialize for a second. We shouldn't have seen it the first time in my opinion. It was it was you know they did it to Vancouver as well. The, the season that the season that Dallas played last year and, and Vancouver part of it was indefensible. And I think it's a testament to the team and, and the athletes and, and the preparation. You know, everyone involved at the team did as well as it did. But yeah, it's 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 amazing to think about how different this year shapes up, and and also a little bit infuriating given. You know, I you could very well argue that there were options last year that weren't. Let's just play every other day for three and a half months. Yeah. So I, so I think that that kind of concept gets wrapped up into well, the health of the team and everybody's going to be healthy again. Which um, I would like to know who NHL.com sources are that saying that Ben Bishop is going to be healthy at the start <laughs> of the year. Um, that's kind of news in stars land as far as, as I, from what I understand. And then if you look at and examine all of the moves that the stars made this summer, uh, signing, you know, Glendening and Hackenpah and I hope I got his name right. <laughs> um, Hockey is and, his name. This is the sure. official pronunciation guide of the Dallas stars. Hockey Puck. <laughs> and then, uh, and, you know, but then the signing of Braden Holby, just you don't make that signing if you think that there's even the a flyer of a chance that Ben Bishop is healthy at the start of the year. You have Kudobin under contract. You have Jake Ottinger, who proved last year, in my eyes, that he's ready for you know consistent NHL backup duty. And if you're worried about a tandem with Ben Bishop and getting him t- nights off, assuming he were to be healthy. I don't see how signing Braden Holtby is somehow the magic pill when it comes to the goalie position. So explain to me, Wes, how has Ben Bishop healthy? Right. And, and of course, what you're referencing is on, on the sixth, NHL.com had a five key questions um, heading into the season for the Dallas Stars. And, and one of those key questions was talking about, and we've covered this before extensively, both on the site and in the podcast. There are some very real questions about what the Dallas Stars crease is going to look like, but the, the money drop there was Ben Bishop likely will be healthy was the, was .com's prediction. And I'll go one further. Like, yes, there are, you can get into decisions like Braden Holtby and in a world in which Ben Bishop is healthy, that makes very, very little sense. But you also get into the reality of, if you can't stash Ben Bishop's contract on LTIR, then the Dallas Stars are significantly over the salary cap. So if Ben Bishop is, in fact, likely going to be healthy, then why on earth would the team have put themselves in a position where we're a month and change out from the start of the new season, and all of a sudden they have to trim about $5 million off of the salary cap? I mean, the only way, the only way that that makes sense is if there is another high-dollar player that's not going to be ready at the beginning of the season, and they know it, and they just haven't said it. And but even even then, that then, would then, make that me player, more nervous. But but in that yeah that one that would be horrifying looking at who those players would be. So the the ever helpful cap friendly is projecting right now that Dallas to hit the cap needs to use about four million dollars, just a little bit over four million dollars of their LTIR space. And of course, the bulk of that has been Bishop's four point nine million dollar contract, right? So that's that's where they're sitting. And, you know, looking along the line, the, the level of people that they'd have to get rid of, right, it, it'd be Miro, it'd be Essa, it'd be Klingberg, it would be Radulov, Pavelski, Ben, Sagan, and that's that's the list, right, unless it's talking multiple players at other positions. And I'll say the other complicating factors, let's say that is, you know, 
let's say that is the case, and they're going to let Sagan, just for the sake of argument, write out his his acupuncture treatments. He's not going to be ready for a little while, so they get that on LTIR. And and I could be wrong, so so I'm sure I'll be corrected somewhere. But if memory serves, the way that the LTIR rules work is once a player is healthy, he has to come back. And right. you know, obviously the the situation in Tampa last year, there was a doctor giving a timeline that told them that you know that their, their guy wasn't going to be healthy before the end of the season. Right. So Dallas would, you know, based on what that recovery is Dallas, sure. They could certainly go in with somebody else on the list, but they would have to either have the certainty that he wasn't coming back off of LTIR or the certainty that a move was going to be made during that interim. And I just don't see, I, I feel like if, if the, you know, seven players on the roster, that make enough money to, you know, kind of wash that out, right? If those se- if one of those seven guys was projected to miss the entire season or not be on the team, we would probably have heard a whisper of it at this point. And furthermore, if, if you know, I'm, I'm putting on my, my ceremonial Jim Nil mustache of hockey brilliance, right? If, if I knew that was the situation and that was what was going on, then I feel like Dallas's offseason makes even less sense because why are you – why are you peppering the bottom lineup with the likes of, of raffle and Glenn Denning and, you know, hockey puck. And, you know, why are you filling in around the margins when you have what we have to assume is a gaping hole somewhere else, right? Why do you do, why do you do what they did if Ben Bishop isn't the guy that's going to be on LTIR? Exactly. And so that's why it's it's tough for me to kind of lend credence to that particular statement because all of the evidence points to Ben Bishop being the one not ready to go at the start of the season and looks like the most likely candidate to not be ready at all this year. Um, I don't think that he waives his no-move clause in the summer for the expansion draft if he was expecting to be healthy. And I say that because if he was expected to be healthy, I think Seattle probably would have taken really long, hard looks at taking him in the draft. And I think there's a reason they didn't. And so I just, it, it, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up if it's not Ben Bishop, not healthy to start the year. And he's starting on LTIR. And actually I believe on Cat Friendly's website, they already have him listed as LTIR. They do. it is that is the assumption and everything that we have heard from local Dallas based uh, reporters and beat writers is that Bishop is not going to be ready. And that's all we've heard. And all of the moves signal that he is not going to be healthy. So unless there's some major like Jamie Ben is done for the year type thing coming out later. I, I, I just don't, I don't see it. But and, and that's that's the other bit, right? Is major is the key word there because if, if that was going on, it would be the story. You know, if that was going on, Saad wouldn't be writing about um, Saad wouldn't be writing about Tyler Sagan's acupuncture treatments, right? We would have we'd have nothing but wall to wall articles on dbd.com talking about who's going to be hurt and how they're going to replace. You know what I mean? Like if it that would not be that would not be a secret that a team in the modern NHL is able to keep because they're just, I don't know many... though. 
I don't know though. Jim Nill is he, very, very good at his secrets. He is, but like he would if if that was the case, right? And, and again, we'll we'll just go with you. You know, if, if Jamie Benn, right, was was going, and we're we're knocking on all sorts of we're making services. that up. But yeah, we're making no, that up. But there would be even if even if Nill was able to successfully keep the rumor under wraps. Well, for starters, that still doesn't explain why he signed Braden Holtby in the offseason. Right. right. And knowing this team's profile, like it, it also there would be rumors about there have been offensive players available. Right. There there would be more rumors surfacing, even something as crazy as if Ben's out of the lineup, then all of a sudden does that make Dallas a player for um um goodness gracious, I'm blanking on uh, Jack Eichel. Eichel? Jack Eichel. Like there's he why not? Right. If if you know you're going to have nine and a half million dollars worth of extra cap space to work with, and in this alternate reality you don't sign a, a Braden Holtby you don't need, all of a sudden you can be a play. You know what I mean? So, and, and that's the extreme example. But there have been other scorers that have been available at various points, or you know what I mean? Like you just can't, even if even if somehow you you keep, you know, news of of Jamie Ben seeing a certain type of doctor right out of out of the public eye the uh, the fact that the team would be given this team's construction especially frantically kicking tires behind the scenes trying to find a replacement there's just no way that wouldn't get out in some capacity yeah no i don't disagree with you I, and that's why <laughs> it's a, it's an objectively I, insane statement to read <laughs> correct and and it and it just doesn't make sense when you really dig into the season that, the off season that the Dallas Stars had all of the moves that they have made the players that they have signed and then their roster and their cap situation. I just, it, Jim Nell doesn't make those moves. If Ben Bishop is the one that's not healthy. I just, I, I firmly believe that he he can't, he doesn't, he can't is I think the way to put it, but let's, let's, um we'll take one last, we'll linger just a little bit longer on this topic and just kind of going through what is your general kind of health outlook for the stars this season? Do you think we're going to see, you know, do you think we're going to see a team kind of this team stay on the ice better than it has in, in recent years? I think if for no other reason than that, you know, if you have something that's nagging, you're not playing every other day in a shortened season, trying to make the playoffs. I think, you know, if, if, if a guy turns up sore, you know, they might have more chance to give him a little bit more time off and it mm-hmm. not turn into bigger problems that require off season surgeries. Like, some of the other players on the team, um, like Erratic Foxa, for example, who I believe had surgery on his wrist at the end Correct. of the season because it bugged him all year round, all year long. Had that been the case under normal circumstances, I imagine that they probably give him a couple of weeks off, you know, because in a couple of weeks in a regular season, yeah, you might miss 10, 12 games, but that's not going to kill you long term, hopefully, um, if your depth is there. Uh, whereas, you know, two or three weeks off last year would have been like 25 games. Yeah. So. <laughs> and and I remember reading somewhere at the, you know, during the, the whole uh, Rupe incident, I, I remember reading somewhere that had it been a normal season, exactly what you're saying, they likely would have shut him down for a month or two and gotten the problem solved then and there versus they would have effectively lost him for every bit of meaningful season last year dealing with the problem. Exactly. So, you know, I just, I think it's always tough to say, yes, you're going to be healthy because shit happens, right? Like 
things happen every season. You know, there's a team that has, you know, major injuries to key players. We've already heard um, news coming out on Thursday, September 9th, that Sidney Crosby had to have a procedure done. He had surgery and is expected to miss all of training camp and a portion of the start of the season. So, like, the Penguins didn't go into their offseason anticipating that they're going to be missing their captain to start the year. So, you know, as we get closer, you know, every year around this time, I say, just get through training camp healthy. <laughs> right. Get the team on the ice. Get through preseason without any major injuries and let's see how things go. Um, so I, I don't want to say that, you know, they're going to be better off or worse off than on the injury front because we just don't know. Um, but I do think that the schedule lends itself better this year to being able to take care of some of those nagging things that maybe held players back or hampered their ability to play last year, um, where under normal circumstances, they'd be shut down for a little bit to rehab and, and recover. So, and you have to think, especially with some of the team's older players, right? Guys like Pavelski, Radulov, you know, the aforementioned Ben, it it is, it's one thing for, you know, 24 year old uh, Dennis Gurionov to, to kind of play day after day and, and just sort of go right. It's something entirely different when you start getting into, um, you know, numbers that start with three, it becomes a, a little bit more difficult to, to wake the old body up sometimes. So having that extra rest could be instrumental in staving off some, you know, saving off regression, right? And, and some, some of what you might normally expect from a, a team of Dallas's experience. I take personal offense to the fact that you just called people whose ages start with a three old. Hey, I feel it every day. All right. <laughs> Things pop and have been for some time. And I'm just calling it calls. Things like just a aren't normal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's it's funny, you, you know, you, and I'm 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 pushing forty, but you get to a certain age and you wake up and something aches, and and your thought process is no longer oh weird that hurts. Your thought process turns into hmm, I wonder if that's permanent. Yes, I just you know, our <laughs> our uh, age perception in the world of athletes is very very different from real life. Please don't call us old. Um, <laughs> 30 years young uh yeah so yeah I you know I I hope that there's health I like I said I just think that the schedule should at least help in that regard uh it's definitely not gonna hurt sticking with we'll go into the other end of the age spectrum and sticking with uh nhl.com the other the other thing that came out and they're in the middle of this we don't know what the full list is going to be like but they've been running through their they do this every year they do their their list of of top nhl players and and the, I think the gimmick is like here and now or something like that, the NHL network. And the, the idea is that they're not looking at, at past history. They're just looking today, right now, who are the top um, players in the league. And at number 32 on their list was our sweet baby boy, Miro Haskinen. And first and foremost, gut reaction. Miro Haskinen is, if I were to tell you that Miro Haskinen is the 32nd best player in the NHL, what, what do you, what's your take on that? First of all, how dare you? Um, no, you know, it's it's weird. Uh, because and I and I say this because like it's really weird to think about there being 30 other players that are better than Mira Haskinen, but at the same time, I think that it's always been really difficult to gauge and peg exactly what defensive defensemen 
its value is just in general and I think that because that is the role that Miro Haskinen kind of seemed to play last year more so than any other seasons um so far that you know that's kind of top of mind and so they're like oh well he didn't put up the points he doesn't put up the goals and it's like well do you actually watch what he does and then I think the other the other thing is is that he doesn't Mira Haskinen is a very efficient defenseman and what I mean by that is he doesn't take extra steps he doesn't need to yep he's not going to be the one that's going to make like some massive hip check and check a guy into the boards not that he can't do it but that he doesn't need to do it because he's going to beat you with a stick and he's going to beat you with his feet first. Yeah, he's so, already got the puck by that point. He's going the other direction. And so it's, so I think it's kind of a combination of that. And then also playing in Dallas, I'm sure that if Mir Haskinen played in literally any other of the big, big quote unquote, big markets, original six, whatever that, you know, hockey men love to basically, you know, get themselves worked up about, you know, I'm sure that the perception of Haskinen would be completely different. Um, Do you think that it's, it's fair to also, because one of the other things I, I agree, and one of the other things that occurred to me is, you know, if you compare how he looked during the bubble run to the final versus how he looked last season. Do you think that part of the calculus is also he went through a period of very intense high scrutiny, right? Dallas was on a run within two wins of the San Lake final, and for, for the bulk of that, he was leading the team in points, right? He had a phenomenal playoff run. Do you think that part of that is compared to the in, in, the like almost the unique circumstances of that playoff run? It was it would be almost impossible for something to look as impressive as Miro Haskinen in the playoff bubble scoring at will? I mean, yeah, I guess. I'm sure that has something to do with it. Um, you know, I also think that, like any other young player, a lot of eyes were opened during that playoff run. And so, you know, he had a lot more focus put on mm. him this year, too. And so I think that he probably has to figure out a way to adjust to that. And again, given last year and literally all of the things that happened last year, um, you know, you do wonder if he just didn't really have time to, to think and, and also was being asked to take on, you know, this heavy defensive responsibility because the rest of the team was kind of in flux or, you know, I, I undergoing... Think... And I will say the no idea problem. of adjustment, the idea of adjustment is fascinating to me. I'm, I'm really glad that you just said that it's, it's popping off, off synapses in my, the old brain box. Cause one of the things that, that the coaching staff kind of said multiple times last season, one of the biggest consequences of Dallas's schedule was the lack of practice time, right? They really didn't right. have the opportunity to do anything besides get ready for the next game. And just on the surface, that really kind of jives with what you're saying, because if you have a player who came out and had this superfluous playoff run, great rookie season, right? Rising star suddenly becomes a focal point of the Dallas stars. And then you have this nightmare season that more or less prevents the Dallas stars from making any kind of systemic or stylistic adjustments. It kind of makes sense that it's, it's, you know, in addition to being all caps, the guy for the first time in a way that he hadn't been previously, Miro was also simultaneously kind of hamstrung and, and, 
kept from getting help from the coaching staff who it's not like they had time to sit down and say, okay, teams are starting to take this away or teams are, tar- teams are starting to apply this pressure. How can we help? It more or less was, well, we have a game tomorrow. Get, you know, get your acupuncture in, get ready for, you know, be at the rink on time and let's, let's hope we do better. Exactly. And, you know, I'm sure all of that, like, I don't think that Miro Haskinen's season last year is any one thing. I'm sure it was a combination of all of the things. No, Taylor, that's the way these takes work. It is exactly one thing that happened and we're going to identify it and point out the solution and then be very, very mad when the rest of the world doesn't do what we say. That's how this works. I apologize I'm not playing by your rules then. Um but yeah, like I'm a rule I'm a rule breaker. Um but no, yeah, so I it's not any one thing and honestly I just I feel like with Ryan Suter and you know, that's obviously a topic for a whole nother year. I could probably go on for 30 minutes about that contract and all of the things about Ryan Suter, but you know, in theory, I would hope for two things to come out of training camp this year. One, they have another guy that they can trust for those defensive responsibilities mm-hmm. so they can actually activate Miro Haskinen's offensive side um, more uh, because it is highly underutilized by the entire coaching staff. And I really, 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 really hope that they realize that this year. Um, and then the other thing I hope comes out of it is when the stars went into the bubble last year, the coaching staff had all of this time off where they were able to look at, you know, what made other teams successful and how could they make tweaks to their current system and get better. And the first four games after they tried to make those tweaks, Big disaster, round robin, terrible. We were fairly confident we were looking at a team about to be just completely swept in the first round of the playoffs. But then it kind of clicked. And, you know, one of the things that to me was different was they activated more. The defensemen were a lot more aggressive, and especially in the offensive zone. And what we saw was an uptick in actual goal scoring. Surprise. I think that what happened at the beginning of last year was all of a sudden they had this COVID outbreak. Well, you have the exact same, exact same, you know, essentially roster that you returned from your Stanley Cup run. And I think that everybody slipped back into, well, let's just play the more conservative defensive oriented style because our schedule is not going to allow for too many mistakes. So we need to try to defend our way into the playoffs again. And I'm hopeful that the coaching staff has done their homework once again, this off season and realized that you can actually play like not all defensive all the time, still be successful and make the playoffs and make it fun for everybody. Um, and maybe, we see a little bit more of those tweaks hammered into the team's ethos and we come back to a more goal scoring mindset. I mean, you have to see, you have to see these tweaks, right? And it it is definitely, you know, health will take this team a lot of the way back to where they need to be, but 
there it's not going to be the only thing and so yeah that those those tweaks i think are going to be a big part of it and i think that a big part of dallas being successful will be um will be running through miro Haskin. and just just for the just for giggles, just for for the sake of argument, the players immediately beneath him were Evgeny Malkin at 33, Dougie Hamilton at 34, Kirill Kaprasov soon to soon to depart for the KHL at 35, John Carlson at 36, Mark Andre Fleury 37, Elias Peterson 38, Zibanejad 39, Kyle Connor at 40. So it, it's it my I remember my first reaction was being very kind of gobsmacked. Wow, it's that low. I'm I'm angry. And then I I kind of looked at the list and realized there are a lot of a lot of players in the NHL and and I I ended up thinking that 32 felt about right given where he was right now especially if you're if you're specifically limiting yourself to the here and now and and rejecting you know things like potential and upside and you know changes in systems like yeah, I think, you know, at 32, right, what you're saying is that, that there's at least one team in the league upon which Mario Haskin is likely the very best player. And I think that's, yeah, that that's, that felt that's okay. accurate. Yeah. That feels, that's, that feels correct. We, and, we, you know, and I, we, in fact, root for that team. It's, it's called the Dallas Stars. <laughs> I don't know. I root for chaos. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, exactly. You know, he's, he's one of the best players in the league and in, in a 32 team league that means he's probably the best on like you said best on any given team so for me uh, look the Dallas Stars are always going to be lower than they need to be you know they don't pay attention they don't see Dallas as often Dallas plays in the Pacific time zone too often for the East Coasters to stay awake because who needs sleep come on you pansies um it's not like we have so, it's a testament to the the perhaps demographic of the media that have never heard of DVR <laughs> I have a, I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old I haven't watched a non-time skip Dallas Stars game in seven years <laughs> Exactly. Like if everyone else can do it, figure it out. But yeah, so I, you know, I, I don't get upset at the rankings and I think that's how you kind of have to take it. You just have to be like, yeah, whatever. They don't watch you enough. They don't watch the team enough. They don't understand the nuances of the defensive defenseman enough to value what a player like Miro Heiskanen brings to the table. And until he can prove that consistently over and over and over and over and over again um, and continue to get more of that Norris Trophy discussion around him, that's just how it's going to be, sadly. But, you know, at the same time, if if Miro Haskinen is listening to this on an off chance and he would like to improve his NHL-wide ranking, then, you know, he knows what he needs to do to do that. Just play like he played in the bubble. Yeah, it'll be great. Exactly. Do that. I do, I do think this is nobody's going to think that that's. And this you know. is a, as pro Amiro podcast as you'll find. I, I do believe that the thing that's going to take care of that one is time. This this kid has demonstrated, you know, he all he has done is get better. Um, you know, even last season, yes, there was regression in certain respects, but nothing matters. Like he has done nothing but improve. We'll continue to improve, and, and he'll be he'll be higher on that list when we do this next season. But I want to close out. Uh, the podcast. We, we've actually gotten some questions. Uh, we, we do pay attention to the socials, uh, kids. So please, uh, please hit us up um, and let us know. But I want to close out with a reader question. This one's from uh, DBD reader Z is for Zuboff. So sticking on the defensive 
the defensive side of things really really dig the the uh excited about just excited about seeing his number raised and all of that going on but taylor if you could have the forward prospects break down game tape of recent signings um like Co- or plus como I'm, I'm guessing but recent signings or the likes of blake como glenn denning raffle what would you want those prospects to take away from from that tape what what would they be doing so if I'm telling you to look at the tape of recent signings, and also what just do you looking at the emulate? way the questions for specifically looking at looking at like those bottom six type players, not you know we're we're not saying you know break down Jamie Ben's game film and, and tell me all the ways you want to be like that, but if if we're th- thinking about that that kind of bottom six, bottom two line players, what could you know? What could what could Stankoven learn from from looking at that tape? First of all, I love the premise of this question is that we legitimately are never going to have anything more than a bottom six forward prospect come up through the system. That feels <laughs> so on brand for this team and organization. But uh, but to the actual question at hand, um, you know, if if you if I were a a tie to Landria and I'm looking at the stars roster and training camp and saying, what do I need to do to be one of those guys that the coaching staff wants to put into the lineup um, as a bottom six forward? I think there's a couple of things. One, you've got to be relentless on the puck. You have to go in and you have to fight every one of those puck battles along the boards Two, you have to be defensively sound. Uh, I don't think that the coaching staff with the way that this team is structured slash the system that they play in would be keen to put in a player with a high risk, high reward type mentality. Um, especially not in the bottom six. <laughs> so you gotta I don't be even think that's down. unique to the Dallas stars. That's just the modern NHL. It really isn't. You can't be trusted. <laughs> like to a degree, because I mean, I think that when you watch a John Klingberg, for example, and he turns the puck over, but you look at all of the plays that he makes with the puck and you realize that, well, he turns the puck over a lot because he has the puck a lot. Like that's forgivable and understandable. And also probably like a good thing, but the guy's if, a magician. <laughs> he's magic man. Yeah. So that, and then I guess the third thing would be if you really were trying to make this team out of training camp and you, and you were trying to figure out a way to get above some of those recent signings on the depth chart, um, penalty killing. I, I think that's the one the one of the biggest question marks for me headed into the season is who exactly is killing off penalties now? Um, Jason Dickinson was, I mean, he, he he ate a lot of minutes in that way. Um, He did have a face. It was very hittable face, apparently. Um, You know, so, so yeah, penalty killing is one area that you could potentially stand out above the rest um if you can prove that you can do that effectively as well and then be like like we talked about the trust factor if you can be trusted to kill off penalties then i think you would be able to make your way up but realistically and looking at all the signings and the depth chart i somebody would have to come into training camp and completely knock the socks off 
the coaching staff because realistically, I'm not sure that there's a forward spot to be had. Right not now. this year, but and I think long-term, I think it's more like that general. And I, I agree with everything you said. I would add looking at that list of specific players and, and that breakdown, I think it, it also speaks to, it is important to master individual skills like that, that sort of attention to detail, you know, Luke Glendening is, you know, he's, he's what, 34 years old. He's played 554 NHL games. He is, you know, he's in the NHL. So objectively he's a phenomenal hockey player, but com- but the reason that he is still around is his ability to win faceoffs. That's something that was prized in Detroit. That's something that, that was mentioned when he was signed in Dallas. I am sure that he has other virtues as a hockey player, but what separates him from somebody else in that position is you can put him on the dot and he's probably going to get you the puck, right? With, with Como, it's that speed, you know, that, that speed and the tenacity that you're mentioning. And so it's, it's, when you look at all of these individual players, it isn't just, it, 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 it's, it's that they have found ways to make themselves vital in specific ways that lend themselves to specific roles on rosters, right? You, you don't play on the, on the fourth line of an NHL team because you're just pretty good at stuff, right? You play on the fourth line because your ace is on the penalty kill or because you can win a face off or because you're, you're great, you know, getting the puck through the, through the neutral some, you have something. And so I think when, when I, if, if I'm if I'm in that position and if I'm talking to a prospect and if I'm showing game tape, particularly from those bottom six roles, the reason that I'm doing that isn't necessarily to show off like a well-rounded game, but it's to show off the importance of, you know, you're not going to have necessarily, because especially with prospects, right, you're likely talking to, to kids that have dominated every level they've ever played, right? If they're even sniffing in an NHL roster, they've been the best player on a team, if not in a league at some play, point in their lives, right? So it's it's a good reminder that, hey, you know, Ty Delandria, right, at the next level, you may not be you you, know, you may not be Sidney Crosby, and you may not get to the NHL on the basis of being able to do absolutely everything well, and you can't really control that. But what you can control are those little detail aspects of the game, and if you can get really really good at something, you dramatically improve your chances of getting into a lineup and staying in that lineup for a long period of time. But it's also really tough to tell a young prospect that, you know, maybe has an upside of more of a middle six type ceiling, you know, potentially a second line guy and tell him, you know, to do something so well that it pigeonholes you into that specific role for the rest of your career. Yeah, I think. I, I think that's where coaching has to come into play, though, right? Because you need to, you do, it's that, it's the wedge, right? You, where, the way that it should work in a fair and just universe, right, is you use that one skill you've developed to put yourself into a lineup. And then through practice and injury and opportunity, right, over the course of an NHL season, you bounce your way up into a top line and all of a sudden, you know, it clicks and you score, you show the coaching staff something and you get more of that time, right? It's that, you know, and and we've seen, and it's, it's, it's that you use the skill to get yourself there. And then you, then you demonstrate the rest of your game, right? Whereas if you don't have that hook, that'll get you into the lineup, you run the risk of never being in a position to show, you know, Rick bonus that you're capable of playing in the top six. Fair and just in this economy? 
what? Right. And, and that's, like I said, the reason I mentioned coaching specifically is there are certainly stories of players that, that lack that specific skill or, you know, lack their coaches trust or, you know, th- there are many, many times when that doesn't end up happening and it's, it's a tragedy, but from the player's perspective, right. The thing that you can control is get good at something, get yourself there and hope that talent drive, et cetera, take you the rest of the way. So um, I am requesting on the next podcast that we discuss the idea of development versus um, what's the opposite of that? Nature versus Uh, nurture. Kind of, yeah. A nature versus nurture debate on coaching staff at the NHL level because there are some coaches who believe that development is a career-long endeavor and then there are other coaches that believe that if you get to the NHL, your development is done and there's no reason to continue to develop you. You should just be. So I'm going to request a debate on that topic. Oh, I love I love getting angry. I'm and very fascinated by that, it. There's nothing that makes me angrier than talking about the way that NHL coaches manage their rosters and, and the things that they have time for and the things that they can't figure out. So I I am all in. We'll just go ahead and say, barring barring more bonkers quotes about Ben Bishop's health or acupuncture or which dog groomer Jamie Ben is is using heading into the season, how that impacts his ability to execute on the power play. We'll we'll go ahead and plan on next time doing some good old fashioned um, venting on on NHL coaching practices. I think that's a good idea. Excellent. I can't wait. <laughs> In the meantime, uh, remember Ned's Needle Orama. Have a a wonderful whenever you're listening. I guess we usually drop this on Friday midday. So have a great afternoon and a lovely evening. And uh, we will we'll we'll do some stargazing Ooh. here again soon. And uh, for all of you who are very very interested in how the prospects of the Dallas Stars are looking. They open their developmental camp on Friday with off-ice testing and video and all that good stuff. And then the media gets access starting on Saturday. So pay attention to at Defending Big D on Twitter. And we will be tweeting from that and uh, look for some some good old-fashioned content related to the prospects as they then will hit the road for the Traverse City tournament at the beginning of next week so stay tuned exciting stars news you heard it here first everybody